0: Leo Messi, Neymar, Vinny Jr., international glory. That's what's on the line for the U.S. in this next two games between Trinidad and Tobago for the Nations League November series, because it's not just about getting to the next round of the Nations League, which is quite important, but these Nations League games will determine which CONCACAF teams qualify for the 2024 Copa America, the famous South American tournament, which is going to feature some of the best teams in the world, including World Cup winners Argentina, as well. As some teams from COCACAF. If the U.S. wants to be a part of that group, they need to take care of business in November against Trinidad and Tobago. There will be two games a home game in Austin, Texas, as well as an away fixture in Port of Spain over in Trinidad and Tobago. The U.S. are going to come in as heavy favorites. I think a lot of the mystery surrounding uh, at least the starters on the roster are pretty well known, but there's some really interesting down-the-line roster conversations to be had here, I think especially in the midfield and especially regarding what's going to happen when Tyler Adams finally makes his return. All that and more on this episode of The Yank Report. What's up? My name is Sam. This is The Yank Report, a a show all about American soccer. We've taken a little break, but we're back. Excited to be back. Excited to talk about this Nations League roster with you all. So if you're new to that, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. We're going to get into the goalkeepers after a word from this week's sponsor. The major sports leagues are in full swing right now, and Bet Online is the top spot for all the action this season. With the MLB postseason, NFL, college football, MLS postseason, and NHL in full swing, BetOnline is your number one source for wagering, news, odds, trends, and predictions. Get everything NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport anytime. Head to Bet Online today to get in on the action. Don't forget to use promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. So for the goalkeepers, I have Matt Turner, Ethan Horvath, and the guy who was called in for the Oman and Uzbekistan friendlies, Drake Calendar. Interesting note with the goalkeepers, in the previous window, it was a friendly window. The U.S. only called up two goalkeepers, which allowed them to add another player uh, to round out the 23. But the Nations League is a competitive tournament, it's an international tournament, and they do have rules and regulations regarding rosters. I actually looked up those regulations to make sure. And in fact, each nation has to call up three goalkeepers. So the U.S. isn't going to be able to get away with only calling up two. You got to call up three. And whoever that third guy is, I'm not putting a ton of thought into it because we're probably not going to see him over this two-game window. Drake Callender was called up for the Uzbekistan window. So why not him? It could be somebody else if you want. We're likely going to see Matt Turner get all of the minutes for these two games. And he's been phenomenal since he became the goalkeeper for the US. Moving on to the center backs, and I think we do have a little bit of interesting discussion here because my center backs are Tim Ream, Miles Robinson, Chris Richards, and CCV. Now of course the two guys who are likely going to be the center backs, the starting center backs for the US men's national team will be Chris Richards and Tim Ream. Tim Ream had the late career renaissance and um has been just an every game starter for Fulham and has led the line for the US since coming back into the fold. Chris Richards put together Some of the best games from a US center back that I've seen in quite some time, possibly ever. Uh, He's a phenomenal young talent. It is a bit concerning that he hasn't really been able to lock down a starting spot for Crystal Palace. He's been a bit of a utility player. He's been getting a lot of minutes in cup ties. Actually, a lot of his minutes lately have come for the U.S. Men's National Team. Uh, No matter, he's been fantastic whenever he puts on the U.S. Men's National Team jersey, but it does go to show just the quality of the EPL right now. Uh, Crystal Palace is money-wise, at least they're a mid-table team in the EPL, but that puts them money-wise as a top-table team in all the other big five leagues. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Chris Palace can start Uh, for an upper-tier, upper-table team in many of the other top five leagues. But because he's in the EPL and the EPL has so much money and they're able to stockpile so much talent, it's difficult for a guy like Chris Richards to break through. That being said, he is getting opportunities. He is getting minutes here and there. It's just not as many as we'd like to see. Uh, But, you know, 2024 is a long way away. 2026 is a long way away. As long as the guy keeps performing for the U.S. Men's National Team, I'm okay. The question mark, though is regarding Tim Ream, because while Tim Ream is the guy right now, we all know that father time is undefeated. Tim Ream is 36 years old, and we just know from following soccer and following sports in general that at this age, you're going to start to see some decline in athletes, and that decline generally is not a gradual decline. It's a rapid decline, and it could happen to Tim Ream at any moment. It wouldn't be surprising if Tim Ream is not in this squad come 2024, much less 2026. So what happens whenever Father Time finally does catch up with Tim Ream, who is going to be that player that we're going to see next to Chris Richards? I think there's two main candidates right now, maybe three. Uh and those are Miles Robinson, Cameron Carter, Vickers, and maybe Mark McKenzie's out there. Uh there's a few other younger players that we thought might be on this list but haven't quite lived up to that. Now there's always a lot of discussion surrounding Miles Robinson and Cameron Carter Vickers, you know, which player should be getting the bulk of the minutes as that third center back. So far it's really been Miles Robinson and Despite his detractors, it's hard to really argue with Miles Robinson getting those minutes. He doesn't really put a foot wrong for the U.S. men's national team. His mistakes at the center back position are few and far between. And as far as what Greg Berhalter is looking for in a center back... He's receiving that in spades with Miles Robinson, a player that is able to come up and form a high line of confrontation and a a player that's able to basically play center field and go back there and and get in one-on-one duels with speedy wingers um, and either slow them down or win those battles more often than not. Uh, A big aerial threat, a big physical defender, a player who's not so great with the ball at his feet and is not going to be great at breaking down teams that are able to successfully defend and, and form a high line of confrontation against the U.S., but luckily for the U.S., Uh, we've advanced to the point where the the build-out is so good against the majority of the teams that we play. It hasn't really been a factor. It will be a factor against the elite teams in the world, but that being said, I'm not sure that any of the other guys in Mark McKenzie or Cameron Carter-Vickers are going to be really the answer in that situation as well. I don't know that we have anybody as good as Chris Richards, um, at, at least in the young up and coming center back pool. And that's a bit of a concern moving forward, but it's something to take a look at as you know, Tim Ream is just frankly not going to be able to play at this level for very much longer. Let's move on to the fullbacks where I think we're about as strong in this position as I've seen from the U.S. men's national team in quite some time. Of course, Sergio Des and Anthony Robinson are the two standouts. And let, let me Take a minute to say, I think I owe Anthony Robinson a bit of, uh, of an apology here because I think we've all observed over the last uh, couple of years that one of the strengths of the U.S. men's national team has been the right flank, the, the play between Serginho Dest and Tim Wea. Uh, so many of the attacks for the U.S. come between the combination play of Wea and Dest. They've put together some of the silkiest and prettiest movements that we've seen from the U.S. men's national team really ever. And it's been just a joy to watch those two players play. On the left flank, however, it hasn't been the case. And I've put a lot of blame on that, on Anthony Robinson just not being able to combine with Christian Pulisic in the same way that Dest and Weah are able to do. And in fairness to me, you know, Anthony Robinson's game is not really about uh, just the, the combination play and the really slick movements and the dribbling and getting by players. He's a spitty winger that's going to get up and down the touchline, and he's going to play really, really good lockdown defense. A, a level of defense that is just continue to rise as he's entered the fold of the U.S. men's national team. However, over the last couple of windows, we've seen with Anthony Robinson out, a couple of different players play in that left-back spot. And we've continued to see that just nothing compares to that right side. No matter who we throw in that left-back spot, we're not able to see that combination play with Christian Pulisic. I'm beginning to wonder if the issue might be Christian Pulisic. Not saying that we're going to take Christian out of the lineup anytime soon, but I think we've seen uh, whether Christian's playing for Chelsea or AC Milan or the U.S. Men's National Team, you're just not seeing that silky smooth combination play, that slow, deliberate, just really nice stuff Uh over and over again from his side. So apologies to Anthony. I think one of the overarching question marks regarding the fullback position over the last few years uh, has been who is going to be the backup left back behind Anthony Robinson. Enter Christoph Lund, the Denmark-born Palermo left-back who came into the U.S. Men's National Team without a lot of fanfare, but has been quite impressive with the opportunities that he's received in that left-back spot. I'm not saying that he's going to be pushing for starting minutes over Anthony Robinson anytime soon, but I think he's about as competent of a player as we've seen at that left-back spot. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of Christoph Lund in the near future. Over on the right side, Sergio Des, Joe Scali. I think these players are going to be mainstays for quite some time. There doesn't seem to be anybody else out there that's really pushing for these positions. And as I said before, one of the main strengths to the U.S. men's national team over the past two or three years now has been that combination play between Tim Weah and Sergio Des. Just phenomenal. Moving on to the midfielders, we have Weston McKinney, Yunus Musa, Gio Reyna, Johnny Cardoso, Luca De Torre and Malik Tillman. You know, once again, looking at this collection of names, I think it's pretty impressive. This is one of the stronger midfield groups in total that we've ever seen from a U.S. men's national team. Uh, the, the floor for this group is pretty high, and the gatekeepers, the guys you got to be better than in order to get into this group are pretty difficult. So it's going to be very difficult for some of the youngsters who are trying to break into this U.S. men's national team to do so, at least in the midfield spot for quite some time. At the top, you know we have Weston McKinney and Yudis Musa. I think Weston McKinney, for me, has become the best player on this team, or, or at least maybe the most reliable player on this team. Um, while maybe Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic can produce greater heights at their highs, I feel like Weston McKinney is just game in, game out. That guy for the U.S. Men's National Team just does so much. It is a player that you can't keep off the field, and I think we've seen that at Juventus where they have tried to get rid of that guy like Rats during the plague, and he just keeps surfacing. You can't keep him out of the lineup whether he's playing right back, midfield, whatever, he just brings so much to any group. Yunus Musa, kind of a similar story over at AC Milan, just has worked his way into that lineup, just a player that you can't keep down, a player that's so good at, at connecting the defense to the attack. He is a one-man buildup and has just become an indispensable member of the U.S. Men's National Team. That third midfielder has been an interesting story. I think Gio Arena playing in that position has been phenomenal. I mean, just there's just no player that brings the poise and the class and uh, the ability to find the final ball more like, more than Gio Reyna. I think we've seen that whenever he's been in this team versus when he's been out of this team. The creativity and the ability to break teams down in the final third is just, it all hinges on Gio Reyna, which, which brings some interesting question marks moving forward. To round it out, we have Johnny Cardoso, Luca Della Torre, and Malik Tillman. Malik Tillman, I think, serves a purpose as the backup. To Gio Reyna in that role of breaking down the opposition in the final third, Uh, a player that maybe a generation ago, we would be out of our minds excited for this guy. A player at PSV that's getting Champions League minutes in the attacking midfielder position, a player that's showing so much promise and poise on the ball, but considering how how far the U.S. men's national team has progressed. He's a player that's on our bench and is likely not to be a huge part of things moving forward so long as everybody stays healthy, uh, but is a great player to have because he can cover that Gio Reyna spot or you can play him at wing, which might be an important thing in the future when Tyler Adams returns. I think we have an interesting story developing regarding Johnny Cardoso and Luca Della Torre. I think in the previous cycle, Luca Della Torre became a fan favorite, a guy that a lot of people wrote in as, you know, one of the one of the guys for the US men's national team, one of the possible starters, one of the core players for the national team. But I don't think we ever necessarily saw that. From the coaching staff, I think there was a lot of instances where the coaches could have played Luca Delatore in big spots, but they chose other players instead. And, and I think we continue to see that moving forward. Um, I, I was interested to note that, you know, against Uzbekistan, Luca Delatore did get the start, but Johnny Cardoso was not in the lineup; he was out due to injury. But when we get to the Ghana game, where you know that could have been an opportunity for Luca Delatore to start, we see Johnny Cardoso. And not only did we see Johnny Cardoso. I thought Johnny Cardoso had a phenomenal game. Now, I am a bit biased because I tend to like the defensive players more than the attacking players for the most part. I tend to be defensive biased in my watching of the game. However, Johnny Cardoso's defense just led to so many attacks. His ability to uh, confront players upfield and intercept balls and then play line-breaking passes just led to so many scoring opportunities for the U.S. versus Ghana. He was phenomenal. I'm not sure that we've seen Luka Del Torre had that kind of impact game in, game out for the U.S. men's national team. I wonder, as Johnny Cardoso continues to uh, have rumors swirling about him, uh, about possible moves here and there in Europe, if we might be seeing uh, Johnny Cardoso passing up Luka Del Torre in the depth chart, if in instances where you might likely think that you're going to see Luca Del Torre, if we might be seeing Johnny soccer a little bit more often. I'm really excited from what I'm seeing for Johnny Cardoso, and I want to see if this trend where he is playing in front of, Luka De Torre continues. Moving on to the wingers, we have Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah, Brendan Aronson, and Kevin Paredes. Now, while we have said in a few different position groups that these position groups are as strong as they've ever been for the U.S. Men's National Team, the wingers, I don't know, not so much. Christian Pulisic comes in as, of course, the captain and the talisman of the U.S. Men's National Team. Tim Weah, as we said before, has been a part of one of the strongest units, one of the strongest attacking weapons that the U.S. has, in that connection between Dest and Waya, the way that they are able to just casually uh, just put together really impressive buildups really impressive ways to break down opposition in the final third, really impressive movements, uh, things that have created goals and scoring opportunities in bunches. Uh, Pulisic, not so much, but at the same time, I mean, you look at the performance that he put in against Mexico, which is one of the best single game performances I've ever seen from a U.S. Men's National Team player. You know what Polisic gives you at the top end. It's not like anybody's passing up Polisic anytime soon, but behind those two guys, I I think it gets a little bit murky because we have Brendan Aronson, a player that a couple of years ago uh, we really thought was going to be at a higher level than he is right now a player that is just not seeing a ton of minutes for his club team and whenever he does he's kind of devolved a little bit into a one trick pony we know that he can do uh, the defensive pressing that he will run his butt off but whenever he does receive the ball uh, just not a very exciting player with the ball at his feet more of a defensive attacker than a attacking attacker at this point in his career I mean he's still a very young player and that can change but uh, at the moment he seems like a player that is prime for potentially getting passed up on this national team if other options do emerge in the future uh likewise maybe for Kevin Paredes i think Paredes might be the weakest player on this roster at this point in time a player that i was a huge fan of whenever he was at dc united i was really excited to see what would come of his career but at this point i mean he's still very very young that should be said but he's not solidified a starting spot he's been getting minutes He has been contributing, uh, but it hasn't been that breakthrough that I was kind of hoping to see this year. Something to monitor as we move forward. Um, He hasn't looked completely out of place in a U.S. Men's National Team jersey, but I think he's a step below. A lot of the other guys in the squad at the moment. Let's move on to the strikers. Still no Josh Sargent. He's supposed to return in January. So for now, we'll continue with Falaran Balogun and Ricardo Pepe. I think Balogun is a really interesting player to talk about in this upcoming window because uh, while he has scored goals and has performed very well and shown glimpses of, of how good he is within this U.S. men's national team, I think the squad has still not quite adapted to this guy and what he can do on the field. I think you watch him with his club team and you just see how what a weapon he is with his runs in behind and how easily he can stretch defenses whenever the team is looking for that pass. With the U.S. men's national team, we just haven't seen players look for that pass. We've seen game after game where flow is making those runs and the pass might be on, but the U.S. really hasn't hit it with the frequency we'd like to see. And I think it's become a point of contention or, or at least a, a point of discussion. We've seen Greg Burhalter mention it in press conferences as something he'd like to see the team do more. I think we've seen Flo show a little bit of frustration uh, regarding not get those balls played in behind. And it's just, I think if you want to look for ways that you can be excited about the growth of this national team, it is with Flo Balogun and the way that we can utilize that ball in behind that we just haven't done so, so far. I think it's going to be a major point of emphasis coming into this window with two games against Trinidad and Tobago, particularly the game at home, where the U.S. should have the bulk of possession, where the U.S. should dominate, I think, Greg Berhalter is going to just bury into the brains of these players that whenever we whenever possession changes hands, whenever we're breaking out, look for that ball in behind for flow, look to play direct, look to stretch the defense in that way. I want to see them attempt that pass, even if it doesn't come off, just keep attempting it and keep giving flow these opportunities. You know what can happen whenever he does receive the ball in space with his quickness and his ability on the ball. I mean, that goal he had against Ghana where he turned that defender was just as silky smooth as anything we've ever seen. You love to see it. I want to see more of it. Ricardo Pepe is still firmly the number two striker at the moment. That may change when Josh Sargent comes back. He, Josh Sargent was playing really well prior to his injury, but at the moment, I think you can't fault Ricardo Pepe for anything that he's doing with the U.S. Men's National Team. Just continues to be uh, fantastic off the bench, continues to score goals, and really what he's doing for his club team as well. Uh, he's not locked down a starter role at PSV, but you can hardly blame him considering the form of the striker that he's playing behind right now, Luke De Jong. He's just been fantastic for PSV, and there's just really no option opportunity for uh, Pepe to overcome him with the with the way jong has been playing uh, throughout this year. But I think Pepe's doing exactly what he needs to be doing. When he comes in as a substitute, either for club or for country, he continues to contribute. He continues to combine. He's scoring goals whenever he can. Um, I think he's doing everything he can do. And, and maybe by 2024, Things will be different. He'll be nipping at the heels of Balogun, but at this moment in time, it's Balogun's show. Now, that's the roster I think that Greg Berhalter is going to call in for this Nations League window, but I think the more interesting discussion here, uh, the more global discussion regarding the U.S. men's national team is what happens when Tyler Adams returns? And I'm not just talking about the starters because that's another really interesting discussion. But as we said, whenever we discussed the midfielders, uh, this is one of the strongest midfield groups that I've really ever seen for the U.S. men's national team. It's It's got one of the highest ceilings. Uh, it's a it's a really interesting group to look at. And the question is, what happens when Tyler Adams returns? I think what we'll likely see at this point is, you know, I've mentioned Kevin Paredes and Brendan Aronson as two of the weaker players at that wing spot. I think we'll see. Tyler Adams returning to the midfield and maybe Malik Tillman being listed as a winger or something like that. And we'll see a winger get pushed out of this group. But you start to look at the group and just kind of wonder, you know, where are guys like Luca Della Torre and Johnny Cardoso and Malik Tillman gonna be able to get minutes? It starts to become highly situational. I mean for Malik Tillman, you see a situation where maybe Gio Reyna is either injured or he started the game and is coming out, and the U.S. is chasing a goal and the other team is bunkering. So we bring in Malik Tillman as an attacking midfielder uh, to try to break down that that opposition. I can see that, and maybe a a situation for Brendan Aronson where the U.S. is up and we're looking to bring in somebody who's going to run his butt off and and press the opposition and help us see out that victory. I get that. For Johnny Cardoso, he's a defensive substitute. He can come in and. And really solidify that midfield group if, if we need to take out a midfielder for Luca Torre, I think it's a similar situation to Malik Telman, although Malik Telman I think uh, does more in the final third than Luca Delatore. Luca De Torre operates more um, in that middle third of the field where he's able to progress. Um, it's an interesting question as to who would Greg Berhalter turn to in that situation where the U.S. is chasing a goal. Um, and it's late in the game and the opposition is bunkering. Is it Malik Tillman or is it Luca De La Torre? Um, I, I don't know, which makes me question whether it's one of those guys on the chopping block and whether it would be uh, Luca De La Torre or Malik Tillman. I, I don't know. I think at this point um, it, it would be Kevin Paredes. I think he's the weakest of, of the group. Uh, you take him out and then you bring uh, Malik Tillman as a nominal winger, although he can play in multiple positions, which you know is always important for a national team. That versatility is going to allow you to make more teams more often Than not, Uh, so I I think that that's something to look at there. But I think it's a really interesting discussion. What happens to this midfield group whenever Tyler Adams does return? Not just about who starts, but which of these guys in these two position groups is going to find themselves on the outside looking in. This is that this is those champagne problems that we always talk about for the U.S. Men's National Team, where it's getting to the point where the player that's going to be kicked out of this group whenever Tyler Adams returns is going to be a competent player that's receiving minutes for a top five league team um, in Europe. It's going to be a player that maybe a generation ago we would have looked at as a starter, but at this moment in time, it is going to be struggling to make this group. It's a really interesting question, and I'm curious about uh, how you guys see that playing out whenever Tyler Adams does make his return How does Greg Berhalter handle that? Assuming everyone is healthy, which of course is a big assumption because it so rarely happens, but if Tyler Adams returns and everybody's healthy, who is the odd man out for you of this group? I'd be really curious to hear that. So that's my thoughts on the upcoming roster for the November Nations League window where the U.S. takes on Trinidad and Tobago with really an opportunity to play in the Copa America on the line. Guys, thank you so much for watching and thank you so much for reaching out and sending the notes and just all the comments about where's sam where's sam i did take a little break from youtube and it was really cool just to see messages from you guys asking where where i went Uh, i really appreciate that i got into this content creator thing and always try to keep in my the back of my mind like no matter how many views you get how many subscribers you get you know no one really cares, you know, because there's just so much content in the world that it's really easy to move on and just kind of get replaced by somebody else really quickly. So the fact that like people like actually reached out and like asked where I was and if I was okay and if everything was good, that that means a lot. So I, I do appreciate that. Thank you guys so much. A special thanks to the members, the tier two members, Mike Irish, Matthew Hanna, Aaron M, Dan McVeigh, Michael Baker, and Matthew Doyle. Thank you to all the members, man. You guys are awesome. I appreciate you supporting me even whenever I was taking a break. I appreciate that that thank you guys so much for watching if you want this episode in podcast form you can find the yank report podcast anywhere you get your podcasts my name is sam and this has been the yank report brought to you by bet online thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube